Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Julie R. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, September 21st. And somebody is unmuted. Today we are reading from the big book and we are at page 102, first paragraph, Why Sit with a Long Face. Today's readers are Devorah S., Lisa H., and um, Esther C. The reference number for Tuesday is September 20th, and it's 9093. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lydia S. to read the 12 steps. Lydia S. star one to unmute. Okay. Sorry, Julie. Good morning, okay. visionaries. It's Lydia in Fort Worth, Texas. 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked God to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and, when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God, praying only for knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thanks, Julie. It's a privilege to do service. Thank you, Lydia S. And I will now ask Anita L. to read the 12 Traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Anita L. from Philadelphia. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership 
is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and with that I pass. Thank you, Anita L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify with compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one. To unmute, once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book on page 102, paragraph, uh, the first paragraph. I will now ask Deborah S. to read the last paragraph of page 101 for context only. Deborah S., star one. Okay, there we go. Hi, good morning, everyone. Hi, Julie, thank you so much. Delora S. from New Jersey recovered. You will note that we made an important qualification. Therefore, ask yourself on each, on each occasion, have I any good social, business, or personal reason for going to this place? Or am I expecting to steal a little vicarious pleasure from the atmosphere of such places? If you answer these questions satisfactorily, you need have no apprehension. Go or stay away, whichever seems best. But be sure you are on solid spiritual ground before you start and that your motive is go in going is thoroughly good. Do not think of what you will get out of the occasion. Think of what you can bring to it. But if you are shaky, you had better work with an alcoholic instead. 
Why sit with a long face in places where there is drinking, sighing about the good old days? If it is a happy occasion, try to increase the pleasure of those there. If a business occasion, go and attend to your business enthusiastically. Are you, if you are with a person who wants to eat in a bar, by all means, go along. Let your friends know they are not to change their habits on your account. At a proper time and place, explain to all your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. If you do this thoroughly, few people will ask you to drink. While you were drinking, you were, you were withdrawing from life little by little. Now you're getting back into the social life of this world. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends drink liquor. Wow, these paragraphs are amazing. And I have to keep in mind that this is the chapter where it's working with others, step 12. I'm not reading this at the beginning of the book. You know, the beginning of the book, you know, I had to put down the food, you know, know that I'm powerless, work the steps, write an inventory, give it away, you know, write down the people I've harmed, all the preliminary stuff before I got to here. And now, here I am at step 12, and I, I'm, I'm working with another person. Um, and I'm, I'm teaching them by going through, you know, I already had that spiritual, spiritual awakening. Um, you know, I recoil from it as from a hot flame, as from a hot flame. The promises are happening. And now I'm giving over my experience, strength, and hope to someone else. And, um, and, you know, you know, I remember this so well. I remember, you know, um, newly being newly um, abstinent. I didn't say recovered, newly abstinent. And I, my husband saying to me, you know, we can't even go anywhere anymore. You know, we just can't go anywhere because you don't want to go to the pizza place anymore. And we can't, you know, and, and it's not fun anymore. And the truth is I was, I was okay with going. Um, I hadn't gone through the steps like I've, I did, you know, within the last few years. But I, the craving was, you know, had been lifted, and I was not obsessing. And I said, it's okay. It's fine. We can go. Um, it doesn't bother me. Um, but, of course, you know, all the years that we ate together, you know, it wasn't fun for him to go with me anymore. You know, what's, what's the point? But I'm, you know, I, I can go anywhere today, and I, I'm really grateful. And, you know, at a proper time and place, Explain to all your friends why alcohol disagrees with you. Few people will ask you to drink if you do this thoroughly. You know, my friends and relatives don't ask me anymore, well, why can't you have a little bit today? You know, have some. It's not going to kill you. Come on, you've been doing this for so long. What's one more time? What's, what's a little of this or a little of that? You know, because they know, you know, they've seen over the years that I'm, I'm very consistent and persistent with what I do. And um, they, don't, they don't try to take you know, get me to you know, do what they want me to do. Um, and, 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 the, and, the, and the miracle is, is that I don't want to do it. You know, God has given me um, this gift, um, and he is, and he's protecting me from all kinds of stuff out there. And I, and, and, and I don't, and, and I don't want it. Um, so, you know, and I was withdrawing from life. I didn't want to show up. How many times I was invited to occasions and I had made every excuse not to go. 
Um, and um, today, I run to these occasions. I love to go. I love to show up. I love there to be for old friends. You know, weddings my friends are making, and I'm showing up for their children. Um, and I'm traveling an hour to get there, and I'm paying a babysitter in my home. Um, but it do, it's fine. I love it because, you know, I got – I. This is what I do. I can show up and, and be there for them. And um, really, really grateful. And it's really given me uh, a, a way to live, you know, working these steps. And just so grateful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Devorah S. And who would like to share on the second paragraph, red, why sit with the long face? This is Janet F. Okay, Nessa hold on. Wait, wait a second. So I heard, hold on. There's a lot of people who said it at once. So the first person who said, if they, you can say your name again. Janice M. R. Jan, no, it was Janice M. M. Yes. yes M. Okay. And then Kim before G. Kim G. Nessa N- R. Nessa R. Jan and Tina S. Maureen M. Okay, Maureen M, Melissa C. Amanda R. Amanda R. Okay, let's Larry. start with the... Oh, Larry. Okay, so it's going to be Janice M, Kim G, Nessa R. So Janice M, why don't you start us off? And thank you much, Julia. And good morning, everyone. My name is Janice M from Massachusetts. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Well, this is um, diagnosing myself, you know, these two paragraphs. I know we're going to comment on the second one. Um, You know, for me, this is my own experience. I had to have a spiritual awakening um, before I could uh, visit these places because before that, um, you know, being in fit spiritual condition means, you know, that I had an awakening, that I no longer had that compulsive overeater's mind because why sit this is me this is this was me in disease why sit with the long place in places where there is drinking sighing about the good old days that would be me before a spiritual awakening i would be sighing about the good old days and feeling sorry for myself that i was deprived was i really deprived no i wasn't deprived uh, deprived of what? Obesity, depression, rage, um, uh, knee replacements, uh, turmoil in my family, um, my attitude stunk. Um, that That's not the good old days. Today is the good old days. Today is, you know, I don't whine. I'm not full of self-pity if I don't eat a birthday cake. I mean, I I don't have that obsession for today. It was taken away for me. Whereas before, it was like, oh, gee, I can't go there, you know. Um, They're going to have this, and I can't have it. Poor me, poor me. Was I cheerful? Absolutely not. I was always sending off some type of a signal, like I was a killjoy. You know, that's what my husband would say. You're a killjoy. Why can't you go here? You got to go, you, you know, blah. But I, I couldn't. I, I just couldn't because I would be good in front of you, you know, at these places. And then it, as soon as I got home, I would eat. That's what I would do because I didn't want you to see me eating. So, no, I'm not deprived. I'm not deprived of all those crazy things that I used to. Um, today, you know, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm a winner, you know, I'm not a whiner. Um, I heard somebody say that at one meeting one time. And uh, yeah, because that's what I used to do, be a whiner. And today, my higher power took that obsession away for one day. And uh, I feel that uh, there's no need of withdrawing. It's more to get into. It's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting to utilize what God gave me. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. And I'd like to remind everyone to please mute their phone. There's a couple people that are unmuted. Kim G. and then Nessa R. Thank you. Good morning, Julie. Good morning. Good good 4 a.m., Julie. Um, (laughs) My name is Kim, and I am a compulsive overeater. While you were drinking, you were withdrawing from life little by little. Now you are getting back into the social life of this world. Don't start to withdraw again just because your friends drink liquor. You know, this really, I I still get sad when I think about this. You know, in my early to mid-20s, what are my friends doing? They're getting married. They're going to parties. They're going to bars. And what is Kim doing? Kim is sitting alone in her childhood bedroom, which is bubblegum pink with her Holly Hobby furniture on a Saturday night, watching TV, binging, and reading romance novels. That was my life. It had gotten that small. But what also makes me sad is when I finally got beaten into a pulp, and in my late 20s I get into Overeaters Anonymous, those first two years, when I'm not working the steps, when my game plan is fellowship, fear, self-will, and keeping on guard, let me tell you, I never ate in a restaurant. I couldn't go to family gatherings. And on Saturday nights, I would still be in my bedroom. Now, I had an apartment at that point, but I'd sit in my apartment bedroom watching TV and reading romance novels and just not eating. So my life was so tiny in recovery as it was in my disease. I had switched from the bondage of food to the bondage of abstinence. So I wanted freedom now. how 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 am I giving testimony to the glory of this program if I'm sitting alone in my bedroom? You know, we hear Tradition 11 is attraction, not promotion. And I really thought that meant, well, as long as I'm skinny, I'm attracting people to Overeaters Anonymous. Well, how can I attract people if I'm, not, if I'm sitting alone in my bedroom? How am I attracting people if I'm telling them, well, I can't go into a restaurant, I can't go to a wedding? You know, we all, I often hear people say, you know, I, love, I, I only feel comfortable eating with OA people. I have to tell you, eating with OA people who are abstinent only and untreated alcoholism to me, is a nightmare, a nightmare. They're screaming, don't put this on the table, don't put that on the table. I'm embarrassed about how some of our OA members treat waiters and people who work in in restaurants and the insanity of that. I mean, who the heck is going to want what we have if our recovery tells us we cannot participate in life? Let me tell you today, I can go anywhere on this earth, and food is going to be everywhere. And I can participate fully in life and not be distracted by the food, not be called by the food. Why? Because I did these steps. The obsession has been removed. I'm in a place of neutrality, safe and protected. I am neither cocky nor I'm afraid. I've ceased fighting anything or anyone. So when I look at this, I think to myself, the only way I'm going to get to that place is if I work the steps. If I worship abstinence only, I'm going to be in bondage of abstinence just the way I was in the bondage to the food. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. And Nessa R., and followed after that would be Tina S. Hi, good morning, Vision for You. This is Nessa R., recovered in Toronto, Canada. 
Um, wow, well, I don't I don't know if I have much to add to what has been so beautifully said, but um, these first few lines describe what my life was in disease. Um, whether I was in the food or whether I was in a diet, um, and also my life in abstinence um, prior to recovery. You know, all I could focus on was the food, whether I was eating it or not eating it. You know, if I went to a function, if I went to a restaurant, you know, a wedding, a celebration, and I was not in the food, um, of course I would be sulking about not being able to partake and not being able to quote-unquote, have fun, you know, which in my book meant eating everything I wanted um, nonstop. Um, and if I was in the food, I was also sulking because, you know, somebody else beat me to the buffet, um, you know, because the food was not being served early enough because the speeches were going on too long and I just wanted to eat. Um, you know, uh, in abstinence, it was the same thing. It was the exact same thing because the food dominated my thoughts regardless of whether I was eating or not eating. Um, and we're going to read in the next uh, few paragraphs how the most important thing um, for us is to be helpful. And this is what I focus on now when I go to functions. I go uh, um, a, a month ago or so, I was at a, at a wedding where the main attraction was a Chinese buffet. And I, I, I brought my food, like I always do, um, to all these celebrations. And when it's time for dinner, I just uh, quietly sneak out and I go to the hallway or to my car and I eat my food and I come back in. And I am happy, like I'm truly, honestly happy to be there, you know, to be in the company with of people, to be able to to socialize, to truly socialize um, with human beings, not just with a plate of food, um, to dance, to laugh, to, part to truly partake, um, to talk to those who maybe nobody is talking to, people who are sitting there alone and bored and not knowing what to do with themselves. Um, that is the true focus of a celebration. We're there to celebrate um, life and celebrate people, not just the food. Um, it is such a change. It is such a change from um, what things used to be like. And I'm, I'm so grateful to have daily opportunities to remember this because life is not about the food. Um, life is about what we can do to help others. And happiness comes when we are helpful. Happiness has never come to me um, through a plate of food. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Ms. Art. Tina S. and then Maureen M. Thanks, Julie. Tina S., compulsive eater, anorexic in Florida. Some great stuff again this morning. Um, you know, I like what was shared <clears throat> by the time we're at this part of the book. If we've done the work, we've had a spiritual awakening, or this wouldn't be relevant in my life. And, um, and so prior to, you know, when I first came to Overeaters Anonymous, I was in another 12-step program, and, and I can remember, because they talked about this being a disease of isolation, that, you know, I live in Florida, and in, in a 12-step program, you know, we went, we had parties, and, you know, pool parties, and there was a lot of food, a lot of food, and, um, you know, so when I was feeling good about the way that I looked, you know, I was participating, and when I was in the food, I was declining, the invitations and and so there there was always that struggle you know I'm still in that place of um, you know isolation 
even though I don't drink anymore, you know, I'm still in my food and still, you know, not comfortable with who I am, where I am. So therefore, I have to change the way that I feel. And that was through the food. And, you know, and in, in, in here, it says that, you know, we, we tell our friends that, you know, um, they can just be who they are. You know, they don't have to change what they're doing, because this is my stuff, not theirs. And then I come to a place of, you know, today, you know, my friends invite me, they know what I eat. So they, they have stuff like, they have the stuff that I can eat. And if they don't, I like what was shared. You know, early on, I certainly took my food almost every place I went. And, um, and I don't do a lot of that today because, you know, if I'm at a place and they don't have what I can eat, I could probably hold off for half an hour if I, if I didn't bring my food with me. You know, I don't have to, you know, just be tempted by the food. And, and, and that's just the good news today. It has totally changed my life, you know, and I don't have to withdraw because of the food. And um, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Tina S. And Maureen M. And then Melissa C. Yes, good morning, Julie. My name is Maureen M., recovered compulsive overeater from New York. And, uh, you know, when I woke up this morning, I was either going to do one of two things. I was going to rise and whine or rise and shine. And the one I'm choosing today is to rise and shine. And it is a choice. Um, and the only way I can do that is with a power greater than myself. But this this paragraph reminds me of where I'm at in my program. What step am I on? Uh, page 85 talks about, uh, it's delicious what it talks about, the neutrality. I'm not fighting anyone or anything. Um I'm not struggling, you know. I remember when I went to weddings, there were two places that I needed to know where I was going to be. One was right by the kitchen where they came out with the hors d'oeuvres so I wouldn't miss anything um, or get my, my fill. Or I was by the bathroom because I was abusing laxatives. Uh, that's what I brought to the wedding. Um, it was all about the food. It wasn't about anything else. Um, today is so different. I, I know, you know, I have some teaching in my background. And if I fail to plan, I plan to fail. Uh, before I go anywhere, I think about what I'm doing. Um, I ask God to help me. Usually I eat. I time my eating um, before these things, and then I bring along healthy snacks to carry me through. Um, and then, like people said, I think about what I can bring. Um, this program sets me free it, it, to, to joy, um, to, to have laughter, to, to really be present for people, not for the waiter who's coming out of the hors d'oeuvre kitchen or not for the feeling that I'm going to uh, go to the bathroom quickly. Um, I don't have the distraction disease. I'm free. And that comes after what? Mm, I think it comes after step nine. And that page on 85 is just, that's it. Um, I was at my sister-in-law's who's recovering from 
mastectomy. And uh, I explained to her that I have a food addiction and because she was constantly offering me food. And I said to her, no, no, I'm okay. I have my food. I'm good. And then she proceeded to tell me, I wanted, I want you to watch. Time. Uh, am I done? Okay. Yes. Um, anyway, long story short, it, it wasn't a good place for me. It began to get toxic from her end. So I left. And that's what I need to do today. I need to take care of myself. And thank you. I passed with that. Thank you. Uh, Melissa C., you're next, followed by Amanda R. and Larry. Hi, good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C. Recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, what jumps out at me here is how, um, you know, when I sat at places with a long face and I was pouting um, or self-righteous, you know, how dare they have this food um, because I can't eat it, you know, I was operating on willpower alone. And, yeah, I was pouting um, because I was really uncomfortable because, you know, what I have is no match for willpower. And, um, you know, and so the difference is today I'm not relying on willpower. And if I start to feel myself get pouty and, you know, unhappy about being at an event, it means that I'm not spiritually fit. It means that something is out of step here. And as it suggested before, then I need to, you know, get working and, and hopefully quick, get working with another person who's still suffering because, um, you know, there's nothing that gets me right quicker than that. And um, if I'm sitting there and I'm thinking about the good old days with the food, um, you know, I am back believing the lie. Because, you know, for me, there were no good old days left with the food. Like, that was back when I still had the ability to enjoy my food, you know, when there was still some choice involved. And I haven't had that in, I, I don't remember how long, you know, I lost that years ago. But um, the lie of this disease is that when you're just abstinent and not spiritually fit, um, I, you know, I'm prone to believing again that there were some good old days. Or, hey, I'm making too much of this problem. It's not that big a deal, you know. Um, those are really dangerous thoughts for me to go on. But I can go places today, and, um, you know, it, it's nothing short of a miracle. You know, I sat at a meeting this week, and my boss put out a platter of donuts in front of me, and because um, I happened to be sitting, I guess, in the center. And she said, um, oh, oh, I'm sorry, you know, should I not put this here? And I, I thought maybe she meant because I had papers, because I had things that I needed to lay out. And, and then I realized she meant I don't eat it. And I, you know, I kind of laughed and I was like, no, it doesn't bother me. You know, and I wasn't lying. That's the miracle. Um, thank you. Is that okay? Thank you, Melissa C. And Amanda R., you're next, followed by Larry. Good morning. This is Amanda R., and I am a recovered compulsive eater in Maine. And it's sort of a, a similar story, the one I was going to share of what, what was just shared. Um, but it's a story that happens to me actually kind of frequently where uh, I live alone. So, you know, the stuff in my house is, is pretty much all abstinent food. You might have some stuff around to feed my friends when they come over. 
um, what I call average food, <laughs> where mine is my my food is is somewhat different than the average person's food. But you know, my friends will come over every once in a while, watch a movie, or just hang out, or whatever. And um, and this this thing happens where they say, you know, hey, can I can I leave this in your fridge, or or you know, is this going to be a problem having this in in your cupboard? And and they always kind of trail away halfway through the sentence. They just sort of and they look at me very anxiously, <laughs> and um, and I I I do it. It's sort of amusing in a, in a way, but it's also it's a great place to to share the message that twelve step recovery does not mean that I am resentful and craving my substance and resisting it with all my willpower. I mean, these are, you know, at least a couple of these friends are people who have been in 12-step programs and never, either never really finished working the steps or never worked them according to the big book. And so they did not find recovery. And so it's a great moment at that point for me to say, you know, when you when I when I worked this these steps, um these my addictive substances, the the ravioli and, and the fast food and the microwave popcorn and the, all that stuff, it doesn't call to me. It's just sort of there like my sofa is there like I don't really think about it it's just kind of taking up some space and um I can share that with them and I don't know if it sinks in or not but you know like I said I, I planted the seed and and God will make it grow uh, when when it's time for them and um yeah, I think that's all I have to say I'll pass thank you Amanda R and Larry K you're next Julie, thanks so much for your service. Larry K. Recovered Compulsive Reader. You know, it says here, uh, you know, why sit with the long face? Oh, I had a long face (laughs) when I had untreated, this untreated alcoholic mind. Uh, You know, know, we we, we call it cognitive dissonance, right? You've heard, maybe you've heard that term, you know, that feeling of uncomfortable tension, which comes when we're trying to hold two conflicting thoughts in the mind at the same time, go ahead and try to hold those conflicting thoughts. You know, you're not going to be able to do it for long. I know I couldn't when I had an untreated condition here. So, you know, it, I mean, it, the the point here is that I would go to uh, family gatherings or a social event and I was, I was incongruent. You know, my body is the servant of my mind. It's going to obey the operations of my mind. And so I could put a smile on my face with untreated alcoholism, untreated compulsive overeating, this untreated condition. I can put a smile on my face. I can play pretend as though uh, I don't want it. I don't want the pizza. I don't want the pizza. I don't want Oh, guess what? You're cognitively dissonant. Of course you want the pizza. You do anything to eat the pizza. See, the difference today is I don't want the pizza. Not because the program taught me to not want the pizza. No, I had a complete spiritual transformation as a result of these steps, as the result of these steps. And the obsession of the mind, one of the things that happened, which was promised, and it happened, I don't just think it happened, no, it happened, is that the obsession of the mind was lifted. 
And when it's lifted, now I go to, you know, Thanksgiving with the family, as you'll do perhaps. And, and I'm not playing pretend that I don't want it. I don't want their, their food. I notice it. How can you not? I have a conscious mind. I see it. But I am not white knuckling and just putting a smile on my face, playing pretend, cognitively dissonant. That's what I used to be when I had this untreated condition. And then when I had that, of course, uh, I would do anything to have it. And eventually, I would get it. Maybe it wasn't then. It was when I left. See, now I can go anywhere because I don't want the food and I, can, I don't have to isolate. I can be with other people. I notice what they're eating, sure, but it doesn't own me. I'm not enslaved by the food as I used to be. If you're still enslaved by the food and you're just putting a smile on your face and you do anything to have it, I suggest I offer to you that you may still have an untreated condition if you're a, ho a hopeless compulsive overeater like me. And for that, uh, wrapping up, the treatment is the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. That's the treatment as laid out in the book. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. And would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Carolyn S.H. Anne Maria. Carolyn. Carolyn S.H. Lorna. And it was Judy. Judy F. Anne Marie M. Anne Marie M. Reva P. I heard you, Lauren S. Oh, and Leah Reva M. Leah M. All right, let's start with that. So it's going to be Carolyn S. H., I think Judy F., Anne Marie M., Lauren S., Reva P., and Leah M. So Carolyn S. H. What page, please? We are on page 102, the first paragraph. Hi, guys. You ready for me, Julie? Yes, Carolyn S.H. Hi, Carolyn S.H. I'm from Massachusetts, a grateful, recovered, uh, compulsive eater. Good morning, everybody. Um, Julie, thank you for your service. And uh, um, there are a couple things striking me this morning with this paragraph. Oops, setting my timer. Um, uh, just yesterday, I was reading um, with someone else the beginning of Bill's story. In the very beginning where he's talking about, um, um, like, the high life and how he's getting all this recognition and he's, there's drinking involved and life is good and he's arrived and all this. And, um, and it struck me while reading that, um, you know, what he's setting up and what, what's going on there in terms of his social um, interaction with people. And, it, and then, you know, a few paragraphs in, he talks about losing all these relationships and his friends were fair with their friends and all this. And, um, and the paragraph we read this morning, it's like a completely different thing when, um, uh, where it says we're getting back into the, I can't find the line right now, but getting back into the social, um, now you are getting back into the social life of this world. Um, and what's striking me is getting back to the social life of this world on a different basis, um, on the basis of trusting and relying upon God. So I'm not showing up at these places and I'm interacting with people and being social um, from the ego-driven place, which I used to, and worrying about, you know, um, what I look like, what people think of, you know, who I'm talking to, what people think about me, you know, what any of that. I'm really just enjoying 
um, being with people and allowing um, higher power um, to create whatever, you know, interactions are meant to be. And, um, and I'm not uh, thinking about the food. I'm not thinking about myself. Um, it's a completely different world. And, um, and I wanted to say, too, that uh, uh, recount something that happened the other, the other night. I was out with a girlfriend, um, and I, I think I've spoken before about going into ice cream shops and it being completely neutral for me. And um, she wanted to get ice cream again. And this time, she, she, you know, she knows I'm a recovered um, compulsive eater. She's like, oh, I want ice cream. I'm like, okay. So we went into this ice cream shop. And this time I had the experience, it was so cool, this experience of, like, I wasn't avoiding eye contact with this server or with anybody. Um, I was, you know, completely, like, there and involved, but no one even asked me if I wanted something. And this is a ice cream shop in a town that I've never been in. Like, I, I felt like higher power had put this little bubble around me, like, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't need ice cream. And, and it was just, um, I was there and involved and no one even asked to serve me. I don't know how to describe it. It was, it felt like a spiritual experience for me. So I just wanted to share that with that. I pass. Thank you, Carolyn SH and Judy F. Maybe I didn't hear Judy F. So that must be Anne Marie M followed by Lauren S. Good morning, Julie. Excuse me. Good morning, Julie. This is Anne Marie M in South Carolina. Uh, compulsive overeater and gratefully abstinent through God's grace um, today. Um, you know, I too don't have that uh, gnawing feeling when I'm in a group of people with, you know, with food sitting in front of me. It happens nightly at work. <laughs> uh, people love to bring in uh, snacks and foods and I, you know, sit there with my uh, abstinent meal and, uh, you know, someone had said to me the other day, you have so much willpower. And I said, no, I don't. I, I, said, I don't want that food. It's not that I have willpower. I don't want it. And, and it's hard for them to understand why I wouldn't want you know, what they're eating. But I have, you know, God has removed that. And that's God's grace. Nothing that I did, believe me. And um, also yesterday someone had mentioned the uh, motive. What, what is my motive for uh, going to places, you know, a wedding. And um, if I'm in fit spiritual condition, I'm living that third step prayer, asking God, what can I do to help another? You know, where do you want me to be? You know, remove the selfishness. That, you know, when I'm living that, I am in fit spiritual condition. And so, you know, that's the other thing, you know, I just have to think, what's my motive and who can I be helpful to? You know, you know, leaving my house every day. You know, where can I be helpful? And I love being in that spiritual condition. It's um, it's just so peaceful to, for me to know that you know I'm I'm doing God's will. And also, what I heard this morning is I never compulsively ate in front of other people. People would wonder, you know, wonder, you know, how did you gain weight? You never eat anything. You just eat salads. And um, I was a, a closet eater and. So I would never eat in front of anyone else. And one one tool that I use, I don't know if it's a tool or not, but if somebody offered me something, and I, I would say, you know, I'll have some later. And that just keeps them quiet. It's so much different than when somebody offers a drink to me and I say, no, I'm alcoholic. You know, oh, I am so sorry. But 
you know, offering food. Um, oh, come on, you can just have one. We're celebrating. It's, it's, you know, for me, I, I found that it, it's different. But just to tell someone, you know, I'll have some later. Um, and they leave me alone. Never once had anybody come back up to me and said, "You said you'd have it later. Is later now?" <laughs> they don't care. Uh, so that's one of the things that I've I've used. One of the statements. Um, and you know, it is dependent on the person too, the other person. So what I can say and what I can't say. Sometimes I will, you know, say, you know, I I have an allergy. But anyway, with that, I will pass. And thank you again for your service, Julie. Thank you, Anne Marie M. And Lauren S. And then Reva P. Okay, thank you. Hi, Lauren S., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, So, um, you know, by this point, we are, you know, the first time I was going through this text in the book, I wasn't recovered yet. I was, um, can you not hear me? I can now, but you faded. Oh, okay. I'm going to just slow. I'm just going to raise my voice then. Um, okay. You're gone again, Lauren S. Uh, okay. There you are. Um, all right. I'll just sit here then. So, my big question when I was first going through this work was, what do I do? I'm not recovered yet. You know, I'm now working with others. Um, what do I do when I'm still shaky? And I leaned onto these promises and these pages uh, to really to really keep me motivated um, to believe what these people who are recovered had to say. And, you know, I just took the action that I was trained to do in the first um, – 100 pages and then the pages in the doctor's opinions, maybe the first like 110 pages. And, you know, I didn't, I did these actions that I didn't really, I honestly didn't know if they would work for me. Um, You know, I was abstinent for the longest time I'd been in my life at that point when I was first going through this, but I didn't know if I would ever reach this land. Like they talk about, you know, being able to go anywhere um, and I latched onto these stories based on these promises, not based on the ninth step promises. I, I kind of got disillusioned with those ones after hearing them so much. But these promises, because these were the ones I didn't hear in, in um, a lot of meetings I was going to, you know, where people were recovered. They worked in a bakery. They were making, uh, you know, foods I used to binge on for family members. Um, and... I experienced these promises when I got more thorough, or I should say more complete in my amends, when I got more complete in my amends. And since that point, that was in September of 2013, it's about three years from now, I've not experienced the want to, um, the the white knuckling effect of needing to, to leave where there's food, um, you know, to be afraid to breathe through my nose, hence I would get a whiff of, you know, smells um, to condemn people for eating certain things. And um, that that's the real juice. You know, that's what keeps me going. And uh, I know I got I to wrap up. And, um, yeah, I've not experienced that, that need to do that since I've been pouring myself into this work. So 
All right, thanks for letting me share that, I'll pass. Thank you, Lauren S. And Reva P, and then Leah M. Good morning, this is Reva P, Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. What strikes me this morning um, is here we are at step 12, and I might think that I'm finished, but I'm really at a beginning because it says now I'm just getting back into the social life of this world. Um, and what that means to me, it's a good remember when, because I didn't know how to socialize. I didn't know what it meant to be with people, because I didn't even know what it meant to be with myself. I was so blocked. So I needed to do the steps to get to this point where I remove the blocks, um, have or ask God to remove the blocks, you know, make the amends, whatever it is, 10, 11, 12. Here I am at, you know, what I think is the end, but this is the beginning. Um, this is the beginning of a life where I learn how to be of usefulness, where I learn how to socialize. Like, what do I do at a wedding if I'm not going to obsess about the sweet table and work my way backwards, what's my dessert, and then, you know, what do I do now? Um, this has been a new beginning of a life um, where I can truly connect with other people, listen to them, concentrate on what they're saying, because I'm not obsessing about what I did eat, didn't eat, should eat, shouldn't eat, can eat, can't have, want to have, all that craziness. Um, and it is amazing. And it says, you know, at the beginning, we're not a glum lot. Like, I get to have fun. I get to dance at places. I get to laugh with people and be free of the crazy, as people refer to it, those marbles, thinking about, you know, food all the time. And, and that is the miracle. And it is a learning process because I missed, you know, socializing 101 because I was busy, you know, alone in my apartment binging my brains out. Um, so I'm so grateful that we are never finished, um, and it's a constant learning, and I've got to keep doing the work daily um, because I don't know who I need to connect with, who, where I can be useful, uh, where God thinks I can enjoy myself um, when I'm not running the show. I just do the work, um, and then I get to really have a nice, um, joyful life with that I pass. Thank you, Reva P. and Leah M. Thanks so much. Yes. I mean, as a result of these 12 steps, the greater aspect of our disease, the obsession of the mind, is driven out. It's expelled. We recoil as if from a hot flame, and we do have a new way of life, you know, living uh, and and implementing steps 10, 11, and 12 allow us to go about in these different environments and associations um, and atmospheres um, in neutrality. Um, there is a time and a place to stay out of those environments before one is recovered in the early infancy stages of recovery when one is more vulnerable and the obsession of the mind has not been driven out. We don't suggest going in those places. Certainly follow the guidance of your sponsor. But once having uh, gone through the step process and the obsession of the mind is expelled, we are able to go about in this way. You know, the statement, why sit with a long face in places where there is drinking, sighing about the good old days. I mean, when speaking with people who at times feel deprived 
uh, about their old way of life, you know, I, I I remind them, you know, perhaps they're glamorizing or have some re- euphoric recall about what it was like in active illness. I mean, feeling deprived, deprived of what? Deprived of obesity, depression, <laughs> anger, lethargy. I mean, those are a few things that come to my mind. Shame, fear, pain, the medical consequences of this disease, the madness and mayhem that it, that it caused, the mental anguish, the emotional torture, the isolation, the deep depression, the suicidal thinking. I mean, what am I, what am I deprived of at this point? I mean, nothing. You know, my whole world has opened up for me because early in disease, I thought, I had a thought <laughs> that eating what I wanted, whenever I wanted, however much I wanted, was freedom. That's what I thought early in my disease. But the reality is that I became a slave, and I had to bow to the demands of my illness. And the illness, this disease made decisions for me. There was no freedom. I always had to pay the piper. You know, to everybody else, eating seemed like a problem back then. Um, But really, really, to me, to an addict, it was the glue that held me together. But the program of recovery substituted the effect of the food for the effect of the spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. And so God put me back together through the working of these 12 steps to what he intended me to be. And (laughs) that is a whole new world uh, that everyone can enjoy. Everyone can get recovered if you're willing to do the work. This is not just a few select people. I'm just wrapping up. There's nothing special. There's no special credentials here. Uh, if you want what we have, do what we do. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. And I'll take the last two minutes, if we don't mind. Uh, this is such a great paragraph on Julie R. Recovered Compulsive Overeater. It talks about, you know, getting out in the world, right? Now that you are getting back into the social life of this world, don't start to withdraw just because your friends drink liquor. I mean, I live with non-addicts. I work with non-addicts. I'm constantly with customers. Um, Today, I have audits for three days, and I've got this elaborate food spread for the next three days. And I'm going to be, you know, offering it to the customers. So it's like, and I'm still fun. I'm happy. You know, what's exciting is before when I would go out and have these events, all I could focus on was how am I going to get the leftover food? How am I going to be able to sneak back in here when you go on the tour so I could shove those muffins in my face and what I would actually choke and have crumbs all over me and then brush off and look all professional? Now, I don't even think about it. I am engaging in conversation. It's so funny. I mean, I can now just enjoy people. I go to restaurants probably three times a week. I bring my own food most of the time or weigh and measure there. This is what I do. I'm constantly at parties, at barbecues, I am very social. Um, If anybody's met me, I'm like out there. I'm always going and doing. If I had to be afraid of food, I would never leave my house. I have the freedom like the big book promises. So it's let's be enthusiastic. You know, let's um, go out and enjoy life. But I had to go through the steps. I have to live the steps every day, 10, 11, and 12. And I have to be spiritually fit. But I want to live. We're promised a new life, a new freedom. And I have it. 
today, only today, because it's based on what my actions are and how close I am with God. So just because there's food around, there's always going to be food. There's always going to be a party. There's always going to be a wedding. And I'm just so excited that I'm living today. And it is 4.50. Oh, I'm going to say 4.55. It's 7.55. So it is time to close the meeting. Uh, Thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following the closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And I did hear Nessa R. Nessa R, would you, oh, I'm sorry, Lisa H., would you please read page 164, A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Um, Good morning, Lisa H., uh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Tennessee. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourselves to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.